Good morning. Thank you, Jonathan. Good morning, buddy. It's good to see you. Me and you are just going to have a conversation today. This is great. So, Daniel, what happened? I'm looking at you, buddy. I didn't get a good morning from you. What's the deal? I'm only picking on you because you're sitting behind Jonathan. That's really it, okay? So let's try this again. Good morning. All right. It's good to see you all this morning. I'm thankful that you're here. Thankful that you're with us. Uh, as you can clearly see, we're going to be getting, uh, into, a, uh, getting into a new sermon series uh, this week. And through the next couple of weeks, uh, this is a series that we're going to be walking through uh, the book of the Philippians, the letter to the Philippians, I should say, uh, and a series that we're going to be titling uh, Joyful Unity. And uh, man, I got to go ahead and uh, tell you that um, today is going to be unique. Uh, it's going to be a little different today, um, kind of more in the teacher mode uh, this morning, because we're just going to be looking at uh, the introduction this morning of Philippians. So we're only covering two verses, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, but I think in order for us to understand what's going on in Philippians, we're going to have to go back and look at Paul's time uh, in Philippi, the city itself, the church itself, uh, which you'll see in Acts chapter 16. So uh, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 1 and 2 together. But at the same time, if you're, if you're a good multitasker and you can flip back and forth in your Bible, or, or maybe you're one of the cool kids in the room and you've got that Bible that's got two ribbons in it, maybe you can put the other ribbon in Acts chapter 16 for a moment, and that'll help you out, okay? So um, there's going to be a little bit of active listening today, watching us go back and forth. Um, with that today, too, we're going to be a little different. Normally, I would ask you to stand in honor of reading of the Word of God, uh, but what you're going to see today is we're going to cover a lot of history, a lot of introduction before we even get into our passage in Philippians chapter 1. So if we get 10 to 15 minutes down the road and you're like, when is pastor going to get to the word? Um, we are going to get there, okay? So um, I'll let you know when that time comes. I'll probably just have you uh, stay seated right where you are. So again, I want to thank you for being with us. Again, I want to be mindful. We got a lot of folks that are out because of a lot of sicknesses that are going on. Uh, by God's grace, everyone is safe at this point. We are uh, keeping tabs on all of our folks that are out, um, the elders, myself. Uh, we've been making a lot of phone calls, a lot of text messages. Um, I think if you were to ask some of these folks, they'd probably feel like, man, our pastor is really harassing us at this point uh, because I hear from him on a daily basis and it's about excessive. Um, and so, but anyway, it's been good to just kind of keep up with people, to touch base with them, uh, to see how they're doing. And so far, everybody's doing fine. They're thankful for our prayers and uh, we're going to continue to pray for them. And so, uh, to go ahead and kind of set up where we're going to end today. Normally we end with communion, uh, but we're not going to do that today because uh, what I want to do is I want to end with a time of prayer, and we're going to be praying specifically uh, for two things. One, we're going to be praying for our local church here at Southside, praying for those who are not with us who are sick right now and recovering. Uh, but then at the same time, I want us to take some time to pray uh, for the churches that are at the ends of the earth at this moment, um, places uh, that are dealing with just heartache and, and devastation. Um, I don't know if you've been reading the reports uh, coming out of places like Afghanistan and Christian leaders now coming under attack there, or even places like Lebanon and what's happening there with the, just the food shortage uh, that's taking place and how churches are now struggling, and, and even some of our missionaries who are working in Haiti who are dealing with the aftermath of an earthquake. And so we're going to be praying for uh, just the universal church, capital C church, our brothers and sisters all over the world who are hurting right now. So that's how we're going to end our service. So before we can get there, we got to go ahead and, and jump into our series. Now, again, we're going to be walking through the next several weeks through the letter of Philippians, which will hopefully lead us, uh, I'll go ahead and be honest with you, it'll probably lead us right into our Advent season and then set us up 
for where I hope we are heading as a church uh, in 2022. And you'll see more about this as we continue to unpack uh, this letter together. But man, our goal for this series as we walk through it together is to see that whether we are called to serve, whether we're called to sacrifice, or even if we're called to suffer as believers, my prayer is that we would always find ourselves looking to the example of Jesus Christ and then to do what it is that we are called to do with joy. And yet at the same time, as believers in Christ, I hope that we recognize through this letter that we are together as one faith family under the sovereign plan that God has for his church. So throughout this letter, we're going to see a a reoccurring theme from Paul, or themes, if you will. First, we're going to see that as a church, as a body of believers, we are called to make disciples of all nations. Now, that may not mean much to you this morning, but if I, if I could simply put this in layman terms, here's what that means. It means we're called to plant churches. It means that we're not just called to make new converts, but rather as believers in Christ, we are called to not only grow in our own righteousness and grow in our own understanding of who God is and who we are in God, but at the same time, we are called to make disciples of the nations, meaning that we are, we are reaching people in our local community, but at the same time, we are reaching our, our nation and we are reaching the nations as we continue to send forth people to go and make disciples and to plant churches themselves. At the same time, through this letter, Paul is going to show us the theme that through the particular call that God has given us, we are now called to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ with joy, even when opposition arises. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to get a lot of background that will ultimately culminate in what can best be described as a grace filled introduction. And so I believe that the best way uh, to do this is to begin simply by just doing an an overview of Paul's letter uh, to the Philippians, but at the same time doing a little more of an in-depth look at Paul's time in Philippi. Now, many scholars have described this particular letter from Paul as a thank you letter to the church at Philippi. You see, Paul had just received a gift from the church at Philippi, and so he wrote them back to thank them, but then also to encourage them. Uh, to persevere together as they continue the mission of advancing the gospel. Now, again, don't miss out on the themes. We've got unity, we got partnership, and it all comes with the call to advance the gospel. So for Paul, this letter was meant to encourage the believers to live boldly. And so Paul wanted the believers to now get out of their comfort zones in order to make Jesus Christ known and to enjoy communion both with Christ but also with one another as a local body. Now to understand what Paul means about getting beyond our comforts, because people often don't know how to define that word, I think we have to first examine what life was like in the city of Philippi. Now, for those of you who don't know, the city of Philippi itself actually became famous around 42 BC when Mark Antony and Octavian defeated the armies of Brutus and Cassius, who were famous for assassinating Julius Caesar. Now, upon their victory, veteran soldiers who fought with them were allowed to settle in that region, and thus Philippi was established as a Roman colony. And so as soldiers retired and as war heroes retired, they were allowed to move into the city. And as the city grew, it was given the highest privilege possible for a Roman uh, municipality. 
You see, that honor was then to be governed by Roman law. Now, for us today, that may not mean a lot to us. In fact, it may not sound very good to be governed by Roman law, but we have to understand what this now meant for all the people of Philippi. You see, at this point, they weren't just Philippians anymore. They were now Roman citizens. In fact, the city itself in Philippi was actually a a mini model, if you will, of Rome, which would be called its mother city. There were similar styles, there were similar architectures, there were similar coins and coinage. In fact, Latin itself became the dominant language in Philippi, and the citizens themselves wore Roman dress. So Philippi became so important that it became one of the main stopping points along the Via Ignatia, which was the military or trade road leading Byzantium with Adriatic ports that ultimately led to Italy. So when you think about Philippi, you're not just talking about a small Jewish town anymore. You're talking about proud people. You're talking about military heroes, veterans, people who were well-known. We're talking about a mix of people, people who were poor all the way to people who were wealthy. We're talking about people who had great wisdom. They had understanding. They had schooling. They had a, they had a basics of, for what they do and why they live life the way they do. And yet when we look to Paul, Paul, upon entering Philippi, would realize that Philippi would become most important to him because it would be the first church that Paul planted on European soil. In fact, when you look at the book of Acts, we see that Luke gives us the story in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 40. So I think to get a better understanding of our, of our letter to the Philippians in context, we need to look back at Paul's time in Philippi itself. So if you could, if you want to follow along, just flip back with me to Acts chapter 16, and we'll look at this together. You see, Paul was in the midst of his second missionary journey when he had a vision of a man in verse 9 saying, cross over to Macedonia and help us. And so Paul and his team went over to share the gospel, and thus they planted a church. Now, I want you to pay attention to this, and you can read it for yourselves. You see, God was now using ordinary men to fulfill his mission, which was to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Now, by this point, as Paul had reached Philippi, Paul now wanted to go into Asia, into Bithynia, but he was not permitted to do so. Now, here we need to pay attention because we actually have a point of grace from God. You see, as believers in Christ, we are called to faithfully carry out the work that God has given to us daily right where he has us. Don't miss that. You're not here by accident. You are here by the grace of God. God has you working exactly where he wants you. God has you living exactly where he wants you. God has our church positioned exactly where he wants it. And it's all done by the grace of God. And so as believers, we only need to be ready and willing to change course when it is the Holy Spirit through his word that now leads us. 
Now, we need to pay attention to what's happening here in Acts chapter 16 and what's happening to Paul. Not only is he trying to plant a church in Philippi, but also as he's thinking about getting into Asia, even though the reality is he's never going to do it. You see, for many of us today, we often try to map out the next five years of our life. We try to map out the next 10 years of our lives or the next 15 years of our life or the next 30 years of our life when the reality is God is simply asking us to focus on the next five days. Now, the question has to be asked, are plans good to have? Yeah, they're good. Sure, plans are are very good to have, but don't wait until later to start living your life. Rather, we need to live the life that we are called to live now. You see, one of the things that always got me as a Christian was uh, when I was much younger and I was in seminary. I was super excited to, to be at seminary, to be at Southwestern, living in Fort Worth, Texas, which if you've never been to Fort Worth, Texas, it almost feels like living in a foreign country, um, especially when you're from the southeast. There was not a lot of green out there. There's no hills. Uh, for a Georgia boy, this was difficult to comprehend. Everything was brown and yellow. Um, it was just really odd, and you could just see for miles. In fact, I remember uh, from Seminary Hill, which is one of the highest points in Fort Worth, you could literally see downtown Dallas. Like it was just the oddest thing to me uh, to be able to do that. But you could do that, which was, if you don't, if you don't know the bearings here, Fort Worth to Dallas is about a 30 to 45 minute drive. So the reality is I shouldn't be seeing that city that far away. It was just something I was not used to, okay? And so being in seminary, I met a lot of incredible people and a lot of incredible pastors and, and missionaries. And one of the things that really drove us as pastors was we sat there and said, look, we're here being trained to become pastors. We're here to being trained to become missionaries. We're, we're here to be trained to become associate pastors and, and serve in a lot of faithful positions. And so the question we started asking ourselves in South Fort Worth is, if this is where God has us, then why are we not using the talents? Why are we not using the resources that we now have? to go and share the gospel with the people who live all around us. And so weekly, after class, once a week, we would get together and we would pray together and then we would go out and do door-to-door evangelism or we'd go to the park and share the gospel or we'd go sit in coffee shops and, and try to engage people in conversations. But one of the things that always drove me crazy was when we'd sit in a classroom and we would ask people to join us. It was amazing to hear from missionaries who would say to us, listen, that's good that you guys are doing that. That's good that you want to go out. We believe in what you're doing, but you have to understand that my heart is in Asia. You have to understand that my heart is in Africa. My heart is in South America. So I believe it's good for you to share the gospel in this context, but that's where we believe we should be, and so we're not going to help you. I mean, it blew my mind that missionaries actually believe that because my reality is this. Look, if your heart is in Asia, if your heart is in Africa, if your heart is in California or Massachusetts or Canada or wherever the Lord is calling you to, then go. Why are you here? Just go where the Lord has called you. But as long as you are here, as long as you're in this seminary, then work here. Work for the gospel here. Because the reality is, even in seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, there were too many people living around us who now need our help. And they don't just need our help. They need the help of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here's the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning. 
Knowing that people live all around us in Brandon, knowing that people live all around us in this Tampa area and in Hillsborough County, how are we doing at offering the help that can only come through the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, coming back to our text in Acts, as Paul entered the, the city of Philippi, he went looking for the synagogue, but didn't, come, uh, didn't find a synagogue anywhere. And so as Paul was searching out believers, searching for a place to see the gospel, we see in the text that he found what amounted to really a women's prayer gathering, if you will. And it was happening by a river. You see, it was in this moment that the first church would then come together in Acts chapter 16. And from this moment forward in our text in Acts, Paul would have several evangelistic encounters. His first encounter would happen with a woman named Lydia who probably feared God but didn't come to faith until Paul had shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with her. And so it was through her newfound faith that Lydia would show hospitality to Paul and to his small team as she would ultimately invite them into her home in order to meet and to talk about Jesus together and to pray and to share the gospel with one another. We know that Lydia was resourceful and wealthy for a person in her day. And this was actually a big win for Paul in terms of future meetings. And we're going to see more on this in a moment. We see Paul then have a second evangelistic encounter. You see, he encountered a slave girl who was tormented. And so Paul calls the spirit out of her and then heals her. And you would think everybody would be happy. But clearly in our text, we find out that her owners were angry and they brought charges against Paul and Silas and ultimately had them flogged and imprisoned for healing this girl. We then see a third evangelistic encounter. And it was with the jailer. You see, while being imprisoned for the healing that had taken place with this slave girl who was being tormented, Paul and Silas and shackles began praying. They began singing hymns. I want you to think about that for a moment because the question I want to ask us this morning is when we are faced with hardships, what do we do? Do we look to God and sing in that moment? Do we look to God and, and praise him for what he has done? Do we, do we praise him in song? Because that's what Paul and Silas were doing while in shackles. Well, in this moment in our text, all of a sudden the ground began to shake and they were set free from their shackles. And all of a sudden we see a moment where the jailer is in fear because of what had happened. He thought all the prisoners were gone and he thought not only would he lose his job, but now he would lose his life. And it was Paul who was a prisoner who would come to him comfort him and it was the jailer who then asked what must I do to be saved and Paul shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with him to the point where all of a sudden the jailer comes to faith invites Paul and Silas into his home where they are then cleaned fed they continue to share the gospel and then the jailer's entire family comes to faith in Jesus Christ you see it's through these three encounters that we need to ask ourselves the following question man what do we learn what do we learn from Paul? What do we learn from the gospel about these encounters? The first thing we need to learn is this, man. When you have people in your life that you think may never come to faith, you need to keep praying for them. You need to keep telling them the gospel. Because ultimately, it's up to God what will happen to them. 
You see, when you have people in your life, whether it's a family member, a colleague, a coworker, a friend, whomever it is, when you have a person who you don't believe will ever come to faith in Jesus Christ, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pause for a moment. I want you to open your Bibles back to Acts chapter 16, and I want you to read the story of Paul again in Philippi. You see, Paul went to a completely unreached area. Chances are there were no Christians in Philippi until Paul had arrived. Paul would then preach the word of God faithfully. He would preach the gospel faithfully. And by God's grace, people were saved. You see, we may not be able to do it, but God can. No one is beyond the grasp and the reach of our God. And so even when we think people can't be saved, we need to remember it's the gospel that does the work, not us. And we are called to be faithful in the proclamation of the gospel. The second thing we need to learn is this, that no matter where we share the gospel, whether it's overseas to the ends of the earth or whether it's right here in our own homes, we always need to remember that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. You see, as believers today, we can never lose sight of the fact that we are at war with Satan. We are at war with the forces of darkness. And so every day is another battle. There is no day off. There is no pulling out of troops. There is no retreat at this point. We are constantly in a struggle for the lives of mankind. And so we need to prepare ourselves for that battle because it won't ever be easy. Our third takeaway from these evangelistic encounters is this. As believers in Christ, sometimes it takes us enduring hardship in order to see people come to faith. Man, we said this two weeks ago as we were closing out our last series. Man, people are watching us. So when people are watching us, when they see us go through pain, when they see us go through heartache, or they see us go through hardships, when all of a sudden they see Christians being squeezed, the question is, what is now coming out of us? And is it pointing people to the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, at this point in our text, after being imprisoned and then set free, Paul and Silas are then asked to leave the city. But before they do, notice what happens. They go back to Lydia's to check in on the believers. And at this point, we then see Lydia using her resources, using her own her home. She opens her home to what would become the house church in Philippi. And as you flip over to Acts chapter 20, you see that Paul would again visit them again during his third missionary journey. And the house church continues to grow as people come to faith in Jesus Christ. So as we look at Paul's time in Philippi, there are four truths that I want us to learn from Acts chapter 16 this morning. Truth number one is this. As believers in Christ, we need to do the work of an evangelist. This is what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 5. And in this moment in Acts chapter 16, all the way through to the end of Acts, we see Paul doing this same exact thing think. You see, we would be wise to listen to Paul's story in Philippi, and we're going to be wise to listen to Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, because here's the reality. As believers in Christ, we can become so inward focused, we can become so distant focused that we miss those around us who are perishing. 
You see, as believers in Christ today, we got to stop complaining about so many things that are trivial that are causing us to lose sight of the mission of God. As believers today, we need to refocus ourselves on the gospel because when we do, there is little time to complain. So where is our focus this morning? Truth number two that we take away from Paul's time in Philippi is this. Man, like Paul, whether we are faced with hardship or not, as believers, we should still be able to look to Jesus Christ to remember the mission of God, and that should still lead us to pray. It should still lead us to to worship. It should still lead us to make him known. Again, I am surprised and, and floored by the amount of time Christians in general spend on nonsense. I mean, we, we spend more time worried about what the president is doing than we do what our sovereign God is doing in this moment. We spend more time reading editorials. We're not even reading research anymore. We're reading editorials, people's opinions about things that they don't know about when the reality is all the truth that we need to know can be found in the word of God and we're not proclaiming it. You see, the word itself should be our priority. Worship to God should be our priority. Making him known should be our priority. When was the last time we had a gospel conversation with someone? Whether it was a believer for the purpose of encouragement and edification, or whether it was a non-believer introducing them to the gospel for the very first time. That leads to truth number three that we take away from Acts chapter 16, and that's this. All types of people can be saved. Man, it doesn't matter whether you're poor, whether you're wealthy, whether you're young, old, wise. It doesn't even matter if you're dumber than a sack of bricks. All people can be saved. So whether they hear the gospel from us, whether they see the gospel or a picture of the gospel within us, whether they see one of us living out the gospel, let's remember that all of them are responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not responding to us. We are simply called to be faithful messengers of the truth. That then leads us to truth number four. And that is this. If we want to plant a church... I mean, if we're really serious about this, if we're serious about wanting to grow a church, i.e. seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ, we got to think small. Let me go ahead and tell you, programs are not going to win people to faith. Programs will draw a crowd. That's what it'll do. You can put on a circus in the middle of your service, and all you're doing is entertaining people. You're not showing them Jesus. And so as a local body of believers, we got to think small. we got to start with conversations with one another. we got to start with things like our gospel communities. we gotta, we got to have small conversations with small groups and then watch this thing just grow from there. Man, this is why we keep pushing the importance of being a part of a gospel community. And we're going we're gonna to introduce some new gospel communities before the end of this year. In fact, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get some more going. You see, it's in those those gospel communities that we now have an opportunity to invite people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the things I think we need to think about as a church is this. Man, we need to look at our programs. And I know I'm I'm about to hurt some feelings in this room, and, and I don't mean to. 
but with everything we do as a church and, and all of our programs, because let's be honest, there's a lot of ministries that we do in the church and they are good and right and of the Lord, but there's a lot of programs that we do as well. Okay, let's just be honest about that. And so in the midst of our ministries, in the midst of our programs that we do as a church, I think we need to now start ask, asking the question, is this particular event allowing us the opportunity to invite people who do not have faith in Jesus Christ to come in order to share the gospel with them? And if our answer is no, maybe we need to rethink what we're doing. Because our number one priority is the gospel. And so my prayer is that question would sear our hearts. My prayer is that these truths would begin to be seared upon our hearts as well today. Because you see, that's what we learn during Paul's time in Philippi. That then gets us to our text this morning, which is Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now again, I told you we were going to get here, right? Had to do a little bit of a history lesson before we got there, but here we are. Paul's now writing this letter to the church at Philippi some 10 years after establishing a church there. He writes again to thank them, but to also make them aware of his current situation, to plead with them to fight for unity, to warn them against false teachers, and then to encourage them to press on in their faith with joy. But before he gets to all these different topics, Paul opens with what we can call a grace filled introduction today. So again, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to read briefly in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to ask you just stay seated right where you are, okay? A little different today, I know. Stay seated. We're going to read it. We're going to keep moving. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now again, we've already set the scene. So there's no need for a backstory here. There's no need to, to step backwards. We've already seen this. So let's just go ahead and dive right into this introduction this morning. Now, again, many scholars upon looking at this introduction have actually called this Paul's most beautiful greeting because how this intro is just chock full of grace this morning. Again, as we look back at the beginning of the church in Philippi, man, we've already seen God's grace all over this particular church. It started with the partnership that happened in the gospel as Lydia opened her home for the church to gather. It started when we saw the gospel of grace being presented as people came to faith in Jesus Christ. We then see God's grace as this new church plant begins to grow. We see God's grace as not only with Lydia, but also with the jailer. We see the generosity of the people as they open their homes. And then we see joy happen within the church as more people came to faith. And again, all of these things are evidence of God's grace at work. Now, again, I want us to pay attention to verse 1 here. 
and several phrases that we see. We have uh, just in these first two phrases, or excuse me, these first two verses, we have phrases like uh, of Christ Jesus. We have a phrase in Christ Jesus. And then in verse two, we have, uh, we have the phrase from God, our father. Now this is important because Paul is now highlighting the fact that it is God who has done all of the work in uniting us in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, we did nothing. It was God who has done everything. So the fact that we now have Christ is all due to the grace of God that he has shown each and every one of us. I mean, do we see that this morning? Let me me put it in layman terms. If you're here this morning and you're a believer today, it's because of the grace of God. Okay? I promise you that the Lord didn't look at us and go, hey, I'm trying to build a fantasy football team and this is my team. This is exact, because because Johnny looks like a defensive lineman, I want him. That's not how that went down. He looked upon us with his grace and his love and he saw us in our wretched, sin-sick state and said, that one is mine. And I'm going to pay for them with the blood of my son. Not because of anything we did, but because of all that he has done. Paul then goes on to say, Paul and Timothy. So he tells us who's writing. And then he says, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, again, I know we're only talking about the introduction this morning, but I don't want you to miss what it is that Paul is now telling the church. He's saying, look. We are servants of the Lord. We are servants of Christ Jesus. He's almost saying, look, we are, we are slaves to Jesus Christ. And not the type of slavery that we think of here in this country, but rather by his grace, Paul and Timothy are saying, look, by his grace, we are now allowed to serve him. Now I want you to stop and, and think about that for a moment because it's God who allows us to serve him. Do we realize that, man, God really doesn't need us? He doesn't need us to serve. Rather, he chooses to use us to serve him. We see this all over scripture. In fact, we saw this back in Acts chapter 16 when God took ordinary people like Paul to do extraordinary things like sharing the gospel and seeing people come to faith in the city of Philippi. So when we come back to our text, Paul and Timothy want the church to know that, man, this this message is not about them. This work is is not about them. They are not the heroes of this story. They are not the champions of this story. They are simply servants. They are messengers of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so this letter, Paul is literally saying, in this letter and in the work that I have been called to do, this is all about Jesus, the one who would live the life that we couldn't live and die the death that we definitely deserve. And so you see, as believers today, we should never lose sight of the fact that it is by grace that we can call upon Jesus Christ as Lord. It is by grace that God has allowed us to serve. Man, I want us to think about that for a moment because I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this week and man, his heart ached. And again, this was not a local pastor friend of mine. This was a pastor friend of mine out of state. And we were talking about his particular church and we were praying for each other. And 
we were talking about our strengths and weaknesses of our church. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I said, dude, our church is awesome. We don't have any weaknesses. We're amazing because God is amazing. That's not true. We have some weaknesses. Let's be real. You know it. You know it. We do. We're working through it together. It's part of being a family. But he was starting to share with me some of his weaknesses and what he saw as his church's weaknesses. And my heart grieved for him as I heard him say that, that all of a sudden he felt that his people felt that they were too busy to serve. All of a sudden they were seeing, they were seeing discipleship as a burden. They were seeing accountability as a burden. They were seeing small groups as a burden. And so I asked him, I was like, well, how often do you guys gather? I was like, are y'all the traditional like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesdays? And he said, no, we only meet on Sunday mornings. He said, everything else is just organic. It just kind of happens from there. But he kept hearing from his people, man, this is too much of a burden to serve. Now I want to think about that for a moment. And I have his permission to share this story, by the way. But I want to go ahead and say to you that all of a sudden, if it's too much of a burden to serve God, you might need to rethink who's actually sitting on the throne of your life. Is it God or is it you? If it's too much of a burden for us to, to meet together to talk about the word, if it's too much of a burden for us to gather for the purpose of worship corporately, if it's too much of a burden for us to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I gotta ask the question, who is seated upon the throne at that moment? Is it God or is it us? Because the reality again is this, God has called us to serve and it's by his grace that we are allowed to serve. And so when it comes to one-on-one -on -one discipleship, when it comes to mentoring, when it comes to going out and sharing the gospel, we don't need to see that as a burden, but rather we need to see that as an opportunity because God is looking upon us and saying, you, I want you to go out and serve. I want you to go out and disciple. I want you to go out and mentor. By his grace, we are given that opportunity. And so we should do it with all joy. Coming back to our text, Paul continues from there and he says, to all the saints. Now let's pause here for a moment because Paul here is now reminding the church that their position has now changed. You see, these believers, these wretched sinners in need of a savior, they now had Jesus Christ. And so Paul says of them, he says, look, you were once in Adam. You were once dead to sin, but now by grace, you are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so you have a new position. You have a new identity. You know, it's interesting because this is the same thing that Paul would say to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. He says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You see, because of Jesus Christ, by his grace, we are made alive. By his grace, we will live for all eternity. Man, what a promise we now have in Christ. Now, coming back to our text, Paul's going to reference overseers and deacons. Now, this word overseer is also the same word we use for bishop, which could mean elder, and deacons. Now, 
This is a bit unusual. If you've been following any of Paul's letters at this point, this is a bit of an unusual thing for Paul to add uh, overseers and deacons to his greeting. And so chances are it was probably done so that he could affirm their leadership and especially affirm their leadership when it comes to handling disunity in the church. Excuse me. Now, some have argued that some of the disunity within the church at Philippi had to do specifically with who was leading the church. And so Paul was making his point very clear as to who was supposed to lead. He starts with overseers. These were the ones who were called upon to shepherd the flock. The ones who were called upon to know the flock, to feed or to disciple the flock, to lead them through the word, to lead them through prayer, and to never miss an opportunity to help them grow. Now again, we've talked a lot about elders, so I'm going to leave that one alone for a little while, okay? He then references deacon, and again, we've talked about deacons a lot here in our church. So I'm going to leave the details alone, but here's what we know of the deacons. We know that they are called to unify the body through service, and not just serve, but to lead others to serve as well. So you see, the role of deacon is a position of service and leading by example. And so for all Christians, it should be our desire to be considered deacons. As Christians, it should be our desire to grow the qualities and characteristics that would make us an elder. So we have to ask ourselves at this point, how well are we doing at leading? Maybe a better question is this, are we setting an example for others to follow? I mean, when people look at us, when younger generations look at us within our church, can they say of us, that is a person I want to follow. That is a person I want to mirror my life after because of the way they follow Jesus Christ. You see, God has graciously given us leaders. He's graciously given us elders. He's graciously given us deacons. He's graciously given us teachers. He's given each of us roles to serve within the church. And so the question we have to ask is how well do we serve in the particular roles that God has called us to and how well do we lead in the roles that we now have? Now coming back to our text in verse 2. Paul offers the blessing of grace and peace. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in mentioning God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul is pointing us to both how God is one and yet God has distinct parts and roles in God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. And yet at the same time, he's showing us that grace has come from God by his plan, according to his will, and through his love, and it can be seen through the grace shown to us by Jesus Christ, who is the son who would ultimately become the sacrifice for our sins. And so here's the beauty of the grace that we are now shown. A consequence to God's grace is that we now have peace. Let me say that again. A consequence to God's grace is that now we have peace. 
In other words, as Christians, we have rest. As Christians, we now have blessings because of what God did through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, for us today, let's recognize that God's grace through salvation has led us to a peace that we should enjoy both now and for all eternity. So you see, as a Christian, man, it shouldn't matter what we are faced with because we have God's grace. And because of his grace, we now can live in peace. It doesn't matter how hard things get. It doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. Yeah, it may scare us. Yeah, it may cause us to fear. Yeah, it may cause us to wonder. But even in that moment, we are still covered in God's grace, which means we live in God's peace. As Paul would later say to the church of Philippi, a peace that transcends all understanding. We'll get to that later in the series. Coming back to our text, I want you to notice here something that's often overlooked. Paul actually, in the midst of talking about grace and talking about peace, does what a lot of snarky people, I think, would do when writing a letter. He adds a little dig, a little, a little jab at Rome, if you will. I want you to notice the phrase that he ends with. He says, "In the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, we've probably read this introduction a thousand times. We've probably breezed right over this particular passage, focusing more on grace and peace, which is good and right. And so when we read the phrase, the Lord Jesus Christ here, it may seem like nothing to us. But again, I want you to remember who Paul is writing to. He's writing to Philippians. These were Romans. They were Roman citizens. And in Rome, Caesar alone was Lord. And so by saying this phrase, Paul says to them, nope, only Jesus is Lord. So pay attention to what Paul is already doing. He's reminding us of the grace that is found in God. He's reminding us that this message is it's not about him. It's not about Timothy. They are just simply grateful to be servants of Jesus. And then he says to them, look, only Jesus is Lord. So when you read, as we read together, Philippians 1, 1 and 2, as we continue in Philippians, as we remember what was said in Acts chapter 16 about Paul's time in Philippi, I want you to understand that God was using a messy, sin-filled, ordinary man, a man named Paul, who by the grace of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, was then used by God to turn the world upside down. And Paul closes his introduction by saying, look, Caesar's not in charge. He may think he is, but he's not. In fact, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, Caesar has never been in charge. Only Jesus Christ is because he alone is Lord. And Paul says, that is the message I gave you when I came. That is the message that I leave you with. Look, I want you to hear this today. We have people who sit in positions of authority and we should listen to them and we should respect them. We should pray for them, but understand this. At the end of days, they are not in charge. At the end of days, they are not Lord. Only Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And you see, now it is by grace that we can even say that as believers in God, in God, not by our own merits, not by our own works, but because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf for the glory of God and for the good of man. Now, again, I recognize today's message has been uniquely different, okay? This has been a massive history lesson, uh, but one that I think will serve us well as we continue to walk through our study together. Clearly, we can see just in these first two verses how Paul has a love for the church. We see Paul's desire to see the church continue to walk in faith, and then ultimately, we see Paul's passion for Jesus Christ. So this is where our journey begins in Philippians. Here's where Paul sets the tone for us. As he says, man, all that we have, all that we do, we have and we do because of the grace of God. And that's why we have the beauty that is found in a grace-filled introduction. So the tone is now set for Paul as he calls the church at Philippi and us today to advance the gospel with joy in unity. You see, through this introduction already, we are beginning to unfold what we will continue to call throughout this series a joyful unity. So with that being said, let's close our time and pray together. Let's pray.